Hi, I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieV47, from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? Of course it is, you scum sucker! <laughs> oh boy. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And if you were looking for all things Walloping Web Snappers, check out our brand new website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. And a little bit more housekeeping, we also had Word Snappers words last week. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, by our regular Patreon submitter. Submitter. Is that even a word? I need to use it. Submitter. Submitter. <laughs> Patreon submitter. Uh, Could have just said patron. Gemma Nicole. And she submitted the words, Santa's beard is cotton candy. Always coming through. <laughs> Always. Hey, it got us talking about, uh, it got us into a whole tangent about how Counter-Earth is made of food, so. <laughs> Although, no, actually, that was a valid observation that it's kind of made of saltine crackers. That just all kind of worked together, so. Well, that was an accident. The saltine crackers was an accident, and once I said it, I realized, oh, shit. Because <laughs> what I had thought of was like, well, the High Evolutionary is in this episode, and he does have a beard, so it's not like we have no room, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, luckily that wasn't as, uh, totally disconnected as, as some of her, her all-star submissions have been for sure. <laughs> Although he did bring Spaghetti. up his beard. He did. Yeah. Right. He did bring up his beard earlier in the episode and then like didn't pivot to like, and his, well, it would have been weird with Santa's beard. So I thought it, about it, but it wasn't, it wasn't working. So I didn't mm-hmm. go for it. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. If you would like to submit some words, you can join us on patreon.com slash walloping web snappers. We play a game called walloping word snappers where our patrons submit words or a phrase, five words or less. That's uh, as you can see is usually kind of weird and random. And we just have to work it in into an episode that we record that month. So patreon.com slash walloping web snappers and join us at any level. But today we are back with Spider-Man Unlimited. Oh, we're getting so close. I, I know, I know. <laughs> we have literally, what, three episodes after this uh-huh. one? And we do have some special things that we're going to be doing with Spider-Man yeah. Unlimited after it's over, too. So it's not going to be it, uh, but we're basically going to be covering literally everything that's ever been made tied to Spider-Man Unlimited, which is not much stuff. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, we're very close to the end. And this is this is definitely – I think this is an episode that feels like we're nearing the end of the season, I would say. It does and it doesn't. There are sure. elements of it that feel – last week I talked about how some of these later episodes feel as though they have elements that might have initially been introduced earlier. This one does have some of those, but it also has things that feel very 
build up to the end game type thing. So it's I, it's kind of confusing. It's kind of confusing in that regard That's for me. True. Yeah. The fact that the fact that this is this is finally a Bromley episode, like which we've gotten hints at his backstory and then went for a long time not getting anything mm-hmm. about him at all. And now it finally is. And it feels like it would have made sense for if the season was a little more front loaded with backstory episodes for its characters, like we get a get backstory. It would have made sense to have a Bromley backstory maybe earlier on or something. Yeah. So it is a little weird that we're getting it now. And it's a story that doesn't really like super tie in to like anything that like needs to be happening at the end of the season. Like, you know, Uh, so it's sort of weird that they waited so long, especially because like the pilot kind of built it up to be a pretty big reveal. And the reveal is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of were like, if you knew what happened to his family. You would understand. Yeah. And then, like, what happened to his family is like, oh, what happened to everybody else? But we'll get into that. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> the episode we're talking about is Spider-Man Unlimited Season 1, Episode 10, called Matters of the Heart. The synopsis per IMDb is that Spider-Man agrees to help Bromley, a member of the Rebellion. Uh, I don't know why they had to specify that because we know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> against the High Evolutionary to find his long-lost brother. At the end of the episode, after Bromley finds out that his brother is loyal to the High Evolutionary, he pushes him into a vat of water. The bestials inside pull him down. This is not how you write a synopsis or a blurb. Like, what? I guess technically, if you're calling it a synopsis, I suppose that's fair. But who wrote that? Well, because it doesn't line up with any of the other ones that we've pulled from IMDb. Like, all the other ones have been, like, generally pretty fair, so it's kind of weird. What do you need to write those? Like, can I just go in and change that? Yeah, I think so. You can... (laughs) Anybody... That's the thing. We kind of dunk on IMDb synopsis sometimes, but literally anybody can go in. I think think the problem with IMDb is that it sort of has... I think it has even less of a... Of a of like a team of editors than Wikipedia does. Like oh Wikipedia boy. is very is very heavily paying attention to everything that's being put on there. Oh, um, yeah. I don't think IMDb is the same way. I think that they still have people that have oversight, but I'm sure certain things take priority, and I'm guessing Spider-Man Unlimited episode ten is not one of those things. <laughs> sure. So yeah. So I think you could very easily make an account and fix it. So all the complaining that we could do, we could do something about it. So it's kind of unfair, but it is fun. But I wouldn't want to do it before we read them because part of the adventure is reading these cold. So uh-huh. I shouldn't complain at all because it's purposeful on our part. It's, it's usually pretty fun because we read them ice cold. Yep. Yes. <laughs> So the original air date for this episode was March 10th, 2001. It was written by Mark Hoffmeyer and Larry Brody. We've talked about Larry Brody like a bunch of times. He wrote the last three episodes, I think. So you know who he is. Mark Hoffmeyer, we've talked about before, but in this uh, 90s show, we went into his credits way back in our episode two. He was their, like, comedy guy. He was the guy, or at least he was what John Semper called, like, their comedy guy. He was really good about, like, the humor of the 90s show. Hmm. And so this is his first credit on Spider-Man Unlimited. Interesting. Yeah. That is interesting because I don't, hmm, I, I, I don't think he was brought in for that reason here because sure. this isn't, like, a funny episode. There's not really a lot of funny things ever in right. Spider-Man Unlimited, so. <laughs> right. Well, I could see why they might want to bring in someone like him because it is so bleak. But even among the episodes that we've seen, this is like probably one of the more serious ones as far as like just frequency of humor. Like it's it, there's not really much at all in this one. Yep. It's a it's a pretty, pretty. Yeah, it is a pretty bleak one for sure. Yeah. So there's also not really a ton of new character stuff in this one. There's one major character that they introduce and focus on, and that's Durwood, 
who is Bromley's brother. And he's voiced by somebody we've already talked about, Gary Chalk, who is the voice of Mr. Minio. Yeah. So not a lot of housekeeping for this episode. Let's just go ahead and start talking about the episode. Let's do it. Let's do it. So it opens in a baseball stadium, quote unquote, baseball stadium. I think they call it Yangers Field, like just like Rangers with a Y. I don't know what that's yeah. about. Well, they, they, it's whatever sport they're playing is called baseball on counter earth. This is like a weird, very quick detail. Uh, but it's not baseball as we understand it because Spider-Man sort of reflects on what baseball was like on the earth he knows. So it's baseball, mm-hmm. but it's not baseball as we know it. Very, we- yeah. very weird. <laughs> yeah, it's basically like it's it looks like it's just soccer. <laughs> it does look like it's just soccer. <laughs> like it's just soccer. I'm not sure what else is different. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. I feel like it would have been funnier if he was at a football game, but it was soccer, and it's just like, oh, in Counter Earth, like football <laughs> as they know it, like you know, in everywhere but America, <laughs> yeah, it's still called football in America <laughs> on Counter Earth. But no, baseball is soccer here. Okay, whatever. Sure. The beast. I think it's also a detail. The bestials are the ones or the players makes sense. Um, but bestials and humans are both at the game. They're just probably segregated. Yeah. So that that and that because that's referenced uh, shortly after that. But yeah, Spider Man's remembering when he and Mary Jane were there and they were having chili dogs. Um, we get a brief flashback. So we don't we still don't have Mary Jane like talking or anything. We at least see her. So that's nice. He quickly kind of ponders what what are in chili dogs on Counter Earth, and it's like, ooh, I don't want to know. Which is funny because we brought that up. Like, what's the state of like food mm-hmm. <laughs> on Counter Earth? So it is funny that they are like not addressing it, but at least calling out like, yeah, it's definitely different here. We're just not going to talk about it. Yeah, chili dogs are people. It's people. <laughs> I mean, it would fit into what we've seen. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. Well, inside one of the stadium's luxury boxes, the loge, if you will, uh, Lord Tiger is watching the game. And we we understand, based on a couple things that people say, that Lord Tiger is like a devoted follower of baseball or whatever this game is. And Sir Ram is also there. Tiger's actually watching the game. Saram is not. Saram is pacing around and he's worrying about the rowdiness of the humans in the crowd. Like you said, it seems like they're segregated when they do cut to the human crowd it's all humans mm-hmm. um, and they do like a little pan across and you see all the like sort of standard sport fan archetypes of like people paying attention, people not paying attention, people being rowdy, a guy lifting up his shirt with like <laughs> paint on his belly that says, go, <laughs> go, <laughs> you know, just standard human crowd stuff. Yeah. And Lord Tiger tells him to chill. He's like, calm down. They'll be fine. Uh, we're all just here to watch the game. What we then see after Lord Tiger's like, no big deal, is that there are humans in the crowd that he probably should maybe at least be curious about because John Jameson, Karen, Git, and Bromley are all present for the game. We learn from John that they were expecting Lord Tiger to be there. They are there specifically because Lord Tiger is there and they can rely on him to be there. So that's kind of just a neat detail, I suppose, just the fact that like, I don't know, I, I like when the revolutionaries make sense, and that actually makes yeah. sense. Yes, they don't always make does. sense. <laughs> they don't always make sense. This isn't Deus Ex and This is actually like a yeah. populated bland that is right. logical. <laughs> right. So they're expecting him to be there. John says as much. And Karen basically wonders if they're going to be able to convince Lord Tiger to accompany them to the basement. 
They don't really get too much into what that is for. I think they might allude to the fact that, like, if they can just get Lord Tiger down there to see how bad it is, yeah. he is the the knight that would be most potentially empathetic or empathic, rather, to their cause or their plight. Yes, yes. I like that a lot because that's something that we've talked about, like, since the beginning, that he always seemed like kind of the nobler one. It's something you clocked, like, right off the bat. Yeah, well, so I'm. I didn't. I didn't realize how explicit that they were gonna like make it, or like if they would ever have time to do anything with it. But um, yeah. so I appreciate that. Like, they're actually calling it out. Like, yeah, he's actually yeah. kind of a good dude. Like, yeah. um, and it's cool because it's a different tactic than we've ever seen them use. They've been pretty much just using like violence and like theft and subterfuge. So now mm-hmm. the fact that it's just sort of like, what if we talk to him? Like, I like that yeah. they're doing that. I have a note that's gonna knock you off of your seat. Oh, God. I noticed a music thing, and I liked Whoa! it. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who is this person? When they're in the uh, luxury box watching the game prior to the revolutionaries leaving their seats, they mm. do this sort of like techno sports remix that includes a version of the sort of like organ that plays at baseball games that like dot, 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 but it's like electronic sort of music. Uh, and oh, I thought cool. that was an interesting detail because ah. it's, I mean, it's specific to their setting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Nice. Yeah. Good, uh, good pull. You're learning. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, it's done well too. Cause it's not just like an addition to it's incorporated into the music. So that was pretty, pretty cool. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So outside the luxury box, um, Bromley manages to distract and disable one of the two guards, which allows John, Karen, and Git to use the other as a hostage and break into the box. So uh, one of the one that they have as the hostage, I think, is like a cool like wolfman looking dude. Like he isn't like a full on like wolfy werewolf. He's like an old monster movie werewolf with like a human face with like like, kind of a mane. It's really neat. He's also one of many bestials in this episode that has like slitted pupils. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Lord Tiger. <laughs> there's like a different design team on this episode or art or art or animation team or something because there's a lot of like weirdness with the coloring in it. Oh. Yeah, like Lord Tiger's eyes. I almost screen tapped it for a face of the episode, but it just wasn't really that interesting. Um, uh, Lord Tiger has like orange eyes for this mm-hmm. scene, like his slits are, um, and they're normally black. Oh. And, then, and then they, I think they're black later on. I see what you're saying. Gotcha. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of moments like that where things are just like randomly colored differently. Um hmm. Or draw a little bit differently. And there's another yeah. bit later on that is the face of the episode that I'll call out at the end <laughs> where it's just like wildly different depending on the shot that you're looking at. Um, yeah, it's very, oh, very Oh, you weird. know what? I As you're saying that, I'm thinking of another example. So I'll, I'll make sure to bring it up when we get there. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. it's It stands out because normally because the, the I mean, there's definitely been like a little bit of ebbing and flowing of animation on this show. But for the most part, it's been pretty consistent. I feel yeah. like um, definitely not as inconsistent as the 90s show was. It has such a, like a, almost, it's so stylized in a way that any sort of like slight variation is at least sort of covered by the over stylized aspect of its lighting. Yeah. But it still veers pretty, pretty far every once in a while. Just every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's generally a pretty consistent show. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, surprising considering like the outlet that this was like Fox Kids and stuff at the time. Yeah. 
with this, uh, with the Wolfie hostage, Jameson makes his proposal to an unreceptive Lord Tiger. They're not really, they don't really have like much of a chance to talk to him because Sir Ram's there and he's, he's, he sucks. Uh, so he's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guard that they're using as a hostage is able to push himself free. So the guard activates a silent alarm, summons more guards. So they're fucked basically. Um, <laughs> uh, they can't talk to, they can't talk to Lord Tiger. John, Karen and Git are able to escape. Uh, but Bromley is shot and taken again for again. Like, the second or third time. It's just the second? I think it's just the second, right? It might just be the second. But still, come on, Bromley. It feels like it just happened. It does. Although, considering how old we learn that he is, not that that's an ageist thing to say, but he's not <laughs> in his prime. He's not in his prime, so he probably is more prone to being, you know, left behind is all I'm saying. Maybe. So, maybe. maybe. We'll, we'll let our elderly fans decide. <laughs> oh, no. I just pissed some people off. He's not that old, actually. I, well, no. I guess he it's is. It's confusing about it's how old confusing. he is. He's yeah. older than I thought he was, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we get our opening theme here and pretty much pick up where we left off. Uh, It's not like a big jump or anything because we get to the revolutionary trio managing to escape the stadium's area entirely. Uh, We see them like running out into the parking lot and grabbing their truck or whatever, but who cares? Um, (laughs) They get away, right? Like it doesn't matter how. In the luxury box, Sir Ram accuses the revolutionaries of attempting to kidnap Lord Tiger. Uh, which enrages Bromley because that's genuinely not what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Sir Ram just sucks. As we've mentioned a thousand times, he sucks. Yeah. Lord Tiger, unfortunately, just kind of rolls with that and believes that that was the case, uh, which is a bummer. Yeah, uh, but Bromley doesn't really try. He literally just yells, kidnapped, and then tries to charge him. Like, yeah. he could have said something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. No one no one really handles it well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Lord Tiger orders uh, that they tend to Bromley's wounds, which is nice. They make sure to say that because the, the, the episode does take steps to make sure that we believe the revolutionaries are right about Lord Tiger potentially yeah. being gooder than the other knights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then tells them to place him under arrest. Yep. elsewhere in the city spider-man is referencing an off-screen fight with venom i okay i have two theories on this because he's sort of saying that like the fight with he just says like the fight with venom might have wrecked my sonics or whatever Mm -hmm. either either this episode was meant to be placed like way earlier and this was coming out after the like the underground venom and carnage episode like Uh where evil nests or (laughs) the episode after it which i know is a venom centric episode maybe the episode after it was supposed to air was written to air before this one and then and then they switched the order maybe or he's just referencing a fight with venom that we never saw i don't know well that's it's it's it it would be entirely possible that he's referencing an off-screen fight that we didn't know anything about, but we haven't gotten anything like that yeah. uh, in this show. So it's the only reason that like my antenna perked up. Yeah. Where I was like, wait a second, that's odd. Is this right. out of place? And I think there are other things in this episode that you could make arguments for making sense early on. But it's not it's not definitive. It's not obvious or anything. It's yeah. just it makes me curious. I'll be interested because I haven't watched I haven't watched the next episode yet. Um, so I'll be interested when we watch it to see like if there are references that indicate that that one was supposed to take place before this one. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that would be an explanation for sure. Oh, for uh, sure. 
But yeah, supposedly he had a fight with Venom and it wrecked his, his Sonics because now he's testing his Sonics. Like, okay, cool. That's fine. It's working. We just, uh, we already assumed that it was, but I guess it's working now. Yeah. <laughs> they work. I yeah. Break glasses. <laughs> right. Or and bottles or something. Sc- and scare a cat too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so yeah. So when fireworks explode in the distance, he's like, oh no, the street carnival I'm supposed to go to. Um, and he freaks out <laughs> and goes to the street carnival. Watching the next episode, he makes the agreement to meet up with them in the street carnival. Like, it's just, like, the most obvious, like, swap of episodes ever. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be really funny. Yeah, so he uh, he's at the street carnival with Naoko and Shane. And he stops to appreciate the Yamada Joneses basically as, like, his family. And then he's sort of thinking, like, okay, the longer I stay on Counter-Earth, the more that they're, like, my family. Which is an interesting conflict, right? Because yeah. the whole... The whole issue with Spider-Man is that he his intention was always to be here temporarily, but the longer his stay gets, and he obviously is warming up to these people, and they're really good to him. We know that he seems to be like kind of into Naoko, and then it kind gets of? really explicit. <laughs> but no, I'm saying throughout a lot of the season, he's oh, yeah. been kind of into her. It's been like weird, awkward flirting, but it's never yeah. been like super explicit. This time... Yikes. It transforms from kinda. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> and yuck. So he yuck. imagines he imagines Naoko as Mary Jane for a second. Which yep. like weird, but it's happened before. Fair, I guess. Still weird, but I guess I get it because he's lonely, misses his misses MJ. Whatever. Okay, whatever. Whatever. The thing that really gets me, and I think gets you too, based on the show notes, <laughs> is that he's like, God, I um <laughs> he's like <laughs> I don't even know what the line is, but basically something to the effect of like, the longer I'm here, the more I consider or think about or am tempted by the forbidden fruit. He refers to Naoko as forbidden fruit, which is bad Yikes! for so many reasons. It's yikes. It's yuck. It's gross. It's ew. It's a problem. We reject it. (laughs) Yeah. I just. Ay, 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 ay. The lady that I can't have, yeah, because you're already in a relationship and you're from another planet and she's raising a kid and it's too much and it's too complicated. What are you doing? Why is this even, why are you considering it? It's, I get, it's, it's like just you a can't... weird way to, to describe the situation yeah. because yeah. it's not, it's not, not understandable that he might be attracted to other women. I yeah. personally firmly believe that you being in a committed relationship doesn't just turn your brain off. Oh, right? absolutely. And you know but what? what it does do is it, it, it forces you to make choices and decisions and have attitudes and ideas and, and be a particular person in relation to your relationship. And what that should mean <laughs> is not like, is not describing another woman that you're attracted to as forbidden fruit, because what that implies is the only reason you're not acting on that is external forces, not internal forces. Yeah. That somebody has set a rule for you that you're trying not to break, not that you are trying to respect your relationship or that you are, you know, are are reinforcing your choice and your commitment to MJ. It's it it kind of it reduces the reasoning for not acting on his attraction to Naoko yeah. to like entirely external factors and solely the fact that like, well, MJ would be mad. This isn't allowed. Right. Like it's which might be true based on the agreement or the relationship, but that's a, a relationship and agreement made between two people, Peter. Yep. It's just a very weird way to describe it. And it's also like 
like Naoko hasn't been forward with him as we've seen. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. look like I mean, she has warmed up to him a lot and they clearly have a close relationship, but she hasn't really been flirting with him in a way that implies that she really wants a relationship with him. So Yeah. It's all so the fact that he's implying like, yeah, like Oh, what she wants doesn't matter. I'm just interested in her, and 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 I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, that it. too. Yeah, yeah. It's like I want to make clear that the issue isn't that Peter is attracted to Naoko. Oh no, I think I think I I'm I, attracted to Naoko. Exactly. I'm into <laughs> dudes, and I'm in. I'm attracted to Naoko. I get it, dude. That's inevitable. I think it's impossible not to be attracted to her. Right. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's it's. But right, the way that you like the way that you act on that and the way that you sort of perceive that person, like it implies that he's not perceiving her as anything but like the thing that he wants to like fuck or get with. Yeah. Which I know that isn't really what he I know that he really cares about her outside of it. It's just this one line that they wrote that just like reeks of just like like masculinity it reeks. And patriarchy bullshit. It definitely reeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Feelings understandable. Uh, internal monologue, please try again. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, okay. So, um, it doesn't really have any impact on the episode anyway. So, uh, cause no. really the thing that we should focus on if we're looking for a theme in this episode is the family aspect, not yeah. the, the horny aspect. It's that he's seeing them as a family because that's the thing that that's the through line throughout this episode. So absolutely. Yeah. So above the carnival, var- vet- Vardum, Vard- Vardum, Vardum and Jarnage, uh, Vardum and Carnum. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Keep it in, please. Above okay. the <laughs> above the carnival, uh, Carnage and Venom pass by and uh, reference another plan, which I think it's sort of like they want to set up another place for their little babies that they want to make. I guess. Aww, little babies <laughs> together. Yeah, yeah. They're just there. That's just a check in with them. So okay, you're there anyway. We never see you again after that. And then below, yeah, <laughs> yeah we is, don't. Right. So either it's setting up the symbiote stuff in the next episode that we know is coming or it's playing off of what would have been the previous episode. If that next episode was out of order. So we'll see, yeah. we'll see when we'll we see. get to next week. TBD. <laughs> yeah. We see them for a second. Then below we see some trouble brewing between human and uh, bestial police officers who are escorting a handcuffed Bromley through a street carnival. Seems like a really terrible choice. Yeah. Like there really was no, no other way around guy Look at this. on foot. I mean, too? Maybe they were, they could have been doing it on purpose. Like, we have a human oh. prisoner, let's walk him through humans. Wait, but, 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 wait, 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 but isn't the whole plan for Bromley to get Spider-Man, like, oh, involved? So they at what point is he in on it? Yeah, so maybe, okay. because maybe this entire thing, because otherwise, like, it would be hard for Bromley to get in touch with Spider-Man, so because he's yeah. Spider-Man isn't always with the revolutionaries, so so they're causing they, a problem on purpose in yeah. a neighborhood where they know Spider-Man tends to be. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, and I'm kind of surprised it didn't occur to either one of us until right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think they were doing that. This is all a setup. So okay, yeah, they're walking through the street carnival. Which we don't know this until later, but keeping in mind what we learn later, this yeah. is all just a setup. So, um, yeah, they're just the the cops are just uh, you know starting up starting a problem uh, while Bromley's around uh, as cops uh, tend to do um, huh. <laughs> in real life. Uh, huh. <laughs> just just you know in, in, inciting violence just uh, just because they can. Peter slips away to suit up and address the clash, and uh, Spider Man does so he addresses the clash and fights off the cops and then saves bromley um mayoko meanwhile does notice peter's absence and is like god what a coward he just ran off as soon as he saw some like 
police brutality happening? Dude, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. Shane's like, no, mom, he just went to, he's a fucking photographer, idiot. He went to take some pictures. <laughs> It is funny, like, this is such a flashback to the 90s show. We haven't really gotten any of this, like, Peter's such a coward for leaving. Granted, he doesn't have, like, quite the same cast of supporting characters that would mm-hmm. do that every two seconds. But, yeah, that it very, very, very much <laughs> like those uh, those interactions yeah. before. Yeah. It's a fun callback, but I don't know. if It doesn't really go anywhere after, like, because it, it, it comes up again as the episode goes along. And it doesn't really go anywhere. It's really just... A very yeah. classic throwback to the yeah, it's not important stuff. to anything that's happening. Yeah. So after they escape together, Bromley leads Spider-Man to where a new revolutionary hideout is supposed to be. I guess based on what we learn later, it's unclear about whether or not this is real. I don't. I don't really remember the timeline of different hideouts. So whatever, it doesn't really matter. Bromley leads him into a subway station. Before they make a whole lot of progress, though, getting to that supposed hideout, they're captured by an electrified metal walled trap, which feels like an unintentional callback to one of the 80s episodes that we've already talked about where Spider-Man is trapped in a metal walled trap. Thought the same thing. (laughs) Because both of these metal chambers also have like electrified walls, which is important because Spider-Man realizes he can't climb up them and two machine men come in to... I guess, rough them up or whatever. And (laughs) Spider-Man manages to defeat them by knocking them into the walls. So, Mm -hmm. cool. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, he makes a reference to X-51 in this episode. Oh, yeah. Which means that at the very, very least, this part of the episode was intended to have taken place after uh, Steel Cold Heart. So we know that much at least. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So Spider-Man begins to make his way out of this enclosure, but then Bromley shoots him with a laser. Which Uh makes him pass out, just like it did Bromley earlier, because (laughs) all lasers make all humans pass out. At least they're consistent about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, we spoiled the twist earlier by saying that it was a setup if you haven't watched the episode. But, yeah, so... We had a revelation. (laughs) Yeah, Bromley, uh, Bromley, Bromley's betraying him, and it's, uh, messed up. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that coming. So Oh, me neither. <laughs> it's definitely a surprise. But be cut back to the Yamada Jones's household where Naoko receives a phone call from Mr. Minio looking for Peter, saying that he didn't deliver the carnival photos in time. So we get another just check in with the whole Peter is a coward or is he situation. Mm-hmm. Um, which means Naoko is getting a little bit worried. Yep, yep, yep. Well, Spider-Man ends up waking up in that enclosure, but he's now restrained on some sort of table, like an operating table. We've seen many of these tables in this show. Um, <laughs> he's restrained again. Uh, in addition to Bromley, though, Sir Ram, Lady Ursula, and two other sort of knight-ish bestials are present. Like they're mm-hmm. wearing knight-like clothes, but they're very obviously not knights of Wondergore, or at least ones that we know. Or I guess they're knights of Wondergore. Maybe maybe there's like a lot of knights of Wondergore, but like the four that we see are like yeah. the main lead ones or something, the man the supervisors or whatever. I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that structure. It makes sense. Yeah. Uh the high evolutionary rules the whole planet as we understand it, so why not? Mm-hmm. Or does he? Um anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my fan fiction. Okay, so <laughs> Sir Ram confirms that Bromley did, in fact, assist the knights in capturing Spidey, which we we kind of knew. <laughs> yep. One of the panels of the enclosure opens 
this is weird. This this chamber is so confusing, but whatever. <laughs> one, one of the at first I thought they were in a different location, but it doesn't really make sense for them to be in a different location. I, I, no, it doesn't. I don't know. So I guess either. this trap just existed there and I don't know, whatever. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the panels of the enclosure opens and the high evolutionary quote arrives, but he's actually on screen. Um, to praise the knights and Bromley, as well as share that he plans to resume the experiments he attempted on Spider-Man when Spider-Man first arrived. So we saw at the very, very beginning, Spider-Man was kidnapped early on in his time on Counter-Earth, and his plans were foiled because the revolutionary saved him from the High Evolutionary. Mm-hmm. When the High Evolutionary like leaves, or whatever he's doing... Um, when he Sir shuts Ray- off Skype... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sir Ram stops Ursula from immediately preparing Spider-Man for transport, referencing an agreement the two made. Okay, buddy. Uh, seems like a bad idea, but all right. Yep. Another panel opens, <laughs> and somehow there's a lab there. Mm-hmm. Okay, this thing mm-hmm. is just defying all physics because when they escape, they're in the same location that they were in before, but this mm-hmm. trap was laid. All right, whatever. I, I don't know. <laughs> Suddenly there's a lab in this, like, what we assume was just, like, a few walls, like, that dropped on Spider-Man earlier in a, in a train I mean, station. if they're using the same technology as in the 80s, all of this makes perfect sense. <laughs> sure, whatever, whatever. <laughs> <sighs> Sir Ram claims that he'll make Spider-Man his puppet, like mind control or whatever he summons like this floating mental torture orb mm-hmm. god sir ram sucks so much he's such an asshole i hate him yeah because there's no reason for this he's just like no. i'm gonna just turn you into my slave and just shock you in your brain a bunch because uh-huh. i like it yep <laughs> sir ram uh, activates the oh oh um i should say too i do like some detail because spider-man throughout this while while all this stuff is going on spider-man's just like bromley sucks why are you doing this bromley why are you betraying us and like they do some nice like facial acting with bromley because he's always like looking away and he's like kind of lifting his collar and turning away mm-hmm. i think that stuff is, is done pretty well yeah but yeah so spider-man's being tortured by the metal mental torture orb cool okay that sucks it looks like it's electrocuting him. He's in a lot of pain. I like Rito Romano's like performance on this because he's just yeah. like screaming in pain Ugh. for quite a long time. Yep, yep. Spider-Man takes some serious abuse in this episode. Uh, uh yeah, yeah, he really <laughs> does. <laughs> so he's screaming in pain for a while while Bromley is like looking nearby, and you know, big flaw in like the knights big plan with having Bromley on their side. Um, Cause even though we don't know like how he swayed them onto their side, the fact is he's still like there with them with no guards paying any attention to him, apparently armed because he uses his weapon in just a second. Oh, so he, sh- they should have been able to like predict that, Oh, he's going to feel guilty by seeing his like comrade be electrocuted in an immense pain for yeah. a long time. <laughs> Yeah, an oversight. (laughs) The guilt is too much for Romley because then he like um, throws like a beaker of something that creates a smoke screen um, and that allows him to shoot the orb with the gun that they left on him, I guess. Come on, guys. (laughs) Or maybe he ran and stole it from someone else. I don't know. We don't see it. I assume that he was armed, um, which is dumb. But (laughs) either way, he he helps Spider-Man escape. So, yeah. So they're running... Through the subway tunnel, and they flee from the trap area, and then we finally get some Bromley backstory and an explanation for his betrayal of Spider-Man. Yes. So what we learn 
is that, and this this took me by surprise. Yeah. Bromley says he was old enough to remember a time before the Beastials took over. And some of this wording is important because we've been struggling to figure out the timeline or or what we trust about the timeline we're given, I should say. Because earlier in the series, we were told that 50 years had passed, right? Since the High Evolutionary first arrived, I think. Yeah, yeah. My first reaction was, holy smokes, that means Bromley is is over 50 years old. But it doesn't have to mean that mm-hmm. because he's he does say, like, took over or when they arrived in Brooklyn or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and by the time they arrive, they are, like, fully formed and realized beings. So not quite oh, as old as I initially thought. That's but a good point. St- still older than I would have imagined because... He says shortly after his family moved to Brooklyn, Bromley's neighborhood was overrun by hostile bestials. And shortly after that, it was overtaken by the high evolutionary's troops who, for reasons that we don't really get explained, removed humans from the neighborhood, the from their homes, and separated families. It's implied, or, or we can infer, I should say, that these humans were taken to work in the the Wondergore Castle, I guess, based on what happens to Bromley's brother. Yeah. So I I guess that's that's our explanation is that they were taken to basically just be human, like slaves for the bestials. Sure. Um, sure. So okay, whatever. Yeah. And and Bromley says after that he never saw his family again. One important detail here is that Bromley says this all happened when he was thirteen because he said he was thirteen when he moved to Brooklyn and it happened shortly after. Mm-hmm. Later we learn that Bromley hasn't seen his brother in 30 years. So Bromley is at least 43 years old. But we don't know if he saw his, if he's like, like the day that the bestial sep- like showed up was the last day he saw them or right. if he and his brother were, was together. Cause we do see like either a teenage or young adult Bromley, like coming back home. Right. So it couldn't, so there was definitely a pretty hefty span of time before he escaped and showed up. So Right, because he looks like a he looks like an adult when he re like when he revisits his old home, and he was thirteen when he left. So he's probably like I would I would guess that Bromley's actually at least fifty years old. Yeah, probably slightly older than that. I think that that's fair. That makes more because when I was first watching it, I was like I was thinking the fifty year thing. So I was like, yeah. wait, he's like sixty five at least. Mm-hmm. That's but but I think in his fifties makes sense because I think his character model. When I think when I look at it more, he is clearly drawn to look a little yeah. bit a little bit older than the rest of the characters. Um, it just never occurred to me. Yeah. Like it never occurred to me partially because I'm primed to age up any characters in shows like this Mm -hmm. so i was like okay he looks older than the rest of them they're probably all supposed to be like in their mid to late 20s he's probably like (laughs) 35 right (laughs) yeah which is ridiculous but that's how these things usually are unfortunately exactly exactly (laughs) so i was i was guessing he was like slightly older than what we thought 90s peter parker was which was like 30 you know (laughs) yeah so it was all weird but no bromley actually is significantly older than Peter presumably is mm-hmm. which is interesting yeah definitely yeah it is interesting but you know now that we now that we know that I can sort of visualize it a little more like if this was like a live action thing like I can sort of yeah. visualize the type of I was like, doing that too playing him, you know? 
Um, yeah. I could see it a little Ray more. Ray Winstone. Even, oh yeah, I could see that because even with because you know and actually it, it would make his like look even like look a little bit kookier like in a good way. The mm-hmm. fact that he's like in in you know an older guy that is still doing like the whole ponytail funny yeah. tie thing. It would definitely like I think amp up like the Mad Max vibes of it a little bit actually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think it, it does it does work now that now that like we kind of talked through it a little bit. So okay, cool. It also supports the original timeline proposal because if 50 years has passed since the High Evolutionary came to counter Earth and Bromley is about 50 something years old, mm-hmm. that gives 13 years for the High Evolutionary to basically have messed around before presumably all of New York was populated or taken over by bestials. Yeah, and I guess Seems reasonable. Yeah. And I do see, like, now that we know for sure that the hostile takeover was really a hostile, like, almost like a Holocaust type of type of situation. Yeah. It does make a lot of sense for why there was this sort of, like, co- like very rapid remaking of the world, essentially. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. Absolutely. So Spider-Man is obviously like, I don't see why any of this relates to you shooting me (laughs) Um, and Bromley's like well here's the thing when I was arrested they gave me a ring that used to belong to my brother he has to be alive which by the way is really terrible logic but okay I get why you're hopeful yeah and I think I don't even think he's necessarily totally convinced his brother's alive I think he's just there's a chance and that's enough which I can understand that's fair yeah He basically says, like, in exchange for helping the High Evolutionary capture Spider-Man, Bromley was promised a reunion with his brother, Durwood. Did we know, by the way, and I I just don't remember, did Mm. we know that Bromley's first name was Daniel before this? I don't think so. Because it's Daniel and Durwood Bromley, or Danny, as a a couple characters, I think, call Bromley. Yeah, I I don't think we knew that. I think everyone called him Bromley at that point. Gotcha. Well, so Spider-Man's heard his story now, and he is ultimately helped by Bromley to escape, or he was helped by Bromley to escape. So, like, I think he, he buys it, um, and he's like, all right, cool, I will help you free your brother now that we're working on the same side again. So Bromley says that Durwood has been slaving underneath Wondergore Castle, one of the most highly guarded places in the world, which makes sense because it's Wondergore mm-hmm. Castle. <laughs> to get in, yep. they come up with this plan where Spidey hijacks a laundry truck and enters through the service entrance. Um, wow, so highly guarded. <laughs> right, which, <laughs> by the way, by the way, uh-huh. I added this as like a face of the episode, but it's oh, just yeah. so absurd. Spidey's disguise is his Spider-Man outfit, but but wearing like the laundry out like laundry officer worker outfit over his Spider-Man out outfit. So it's a nonsensical thing that makes sense <laughs> only only in an already nonsensical like setting. Kind it's of. It's just like, so funny. It's so funny. It's weird because he can't. Like you would think, like okay, it would just be Peter Parker in a uniform, but he can't do that because he's with Bromley. So like, if he wants to actually be human in this disguise, he would have to reveal to Bromley at least his face, but mm-hmm. he can't do that. So it's like, I guess that makes sense, but it's also absurd. <laughs> yeah, although I guess you could buy a bestial that looks like Spider-Man's face. I guess, I considering guess. how diverse the bestials are. <laughs> Couldn't he at least give himself a mouth? <laughs> Yeah, he's got a nanotech suit. Like, he could have... I don't uh-huh. know. 
I don't know. It's it's just it's silly. It gave us a beautiful beautiful moment though, so I'm not mad at it. I no, I'm not mad at it. It's abs- I'm calling it out because it's so absurd, but I love yeah. it. I think it's yeah. one of the funniest <laughs> intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, but it is one of the funniest things this show has done. Absolutely. Oh, because sure. it's played completely straight. Nobody, nobody recognizes him. It takes someone smelling his scent yeah. to recognize him. It's so funny. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that's what happens next, actually. So that's perfect. So having hidden Bromley in one of the laundry carts in the laundry truck, Spider-Man manages to just walk through the halls of the castle. <laughs> As a laundry guy. <laughs> Unfortunately, they happen to pass Lady Vermin through one of the hallways, and she's the one who immediately recognizes Spider-Man's scent. Sure. <laughs> I love Lady Vermin so much. She's great. <laughs> she's so I, fun. I love Lady Vermin, but I... I uh, this Okay, so uh, the next thing frustrates me a little bit, but it's not a problem with Lady Vermin. I just feel like they... They... Don't, they, mm, they, they undercut her just slightly. So he pretends to have snuck in to meet with Lady Vermin to f- to continue their romance, right? Mm-hmm. And she just falls for it, just like immediately. So she's clearly far more into Spider-Man than I think I thought yeah. she was. <laughs> I kind of like, I kind of really like the idea, though, that she's actually like, she's extremely competent at her job, except when she's horny. Like, I th- I kind of really think that that's <sighs> hilarious. <laughs> I, I'm not as into it. Really? I don't know. Yeah, because I feel like... I like the idea that she fucks and she fucks what she wants, right? Uh-huh. But I'm I'm less into the idea that she like throws her responsibility away because she's like horny for Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. Huh. <laughs> Maybe I just relate mm. to her too much. Maybe maybe if it weren't yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> maybe if it weren't like portrayed as romantic and it was more just like oh shit here's my chance like i'm gonna jump those bones i like, don't think it's i don't think it's portrayed as romantic given like the, the what like a throwaway line that spidey has shortly after this i think she does just want to bone him a lot i don't I think she guess. has any interest on going on a date with him because the first thing she does is start fucking making out with him and then yeah. so like i don't think romance is an option at all she wants to fuck I guess so. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I didn't get that vibe, but I will, I will happily operate as if that's the case because I would prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so Spidey and, and, and Lady Vermin are making out as much as he like doesn't want to do it. Tells himself not to puke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But hey, you know, it's, uh, yeah, he's he's look. That, she's that hot, his okay, Spider-Man. Yeah. She's hot. He needs get to get over. over it. Like, yeah, it's like you know what? You're fucking here calling Naoko forbidden fruit and shit, uh-huh. and like imagining every woman you meet as Mary Jane. This is like your moment for like the perfect excuse to like get it on a little bit. Like, uh-huh. come on, just just take right. it, dude. <laughs> luck, luckily, the this distraction does allow Bromley to proceed further into the castle. So once there's further inside, Bromley reaches this like water purification plant in there where are there are these like fish bestials. <laughs> they're being like tortured with like electric rods while they're swimming in the water to purifying the water. So like another case of bestials also being oppressed um, mm-hmm. in addition to humans and everything. <laughs> My favorite line of this whole episode is, come on, you scum suckers, suck more scum. Yep. <laughs> 
I honestly didn't understand what they were doing in there until that line. I was like, oh, they're literally like the filters. Yeah. Like, that's what they are in the water. Which is really fucked up. And I uh-huh. I mean, I, I dig that because it's just sort of another another very clear indication that the high evolutionary is just a fucking asshole. And this world is just fucked well, all the hell. And at least in New York and presumably Atlantic City, the only real settings we've seen, like, we we kind of joked that the infrastructure was terrible, but it is terrible. Yeah. And everything's sort of crumbling around them. And so it, it's not, you know, it seems absurd for them to be purifying water using living sentient beings. Mm-hmm. But you could argue that the high evolutionary's obsession with the bestials basically resulted in like the neglect of the city and and reconstructing the city after oh. what Bromley refers to as basically a war in the streets, right? Yeah. And so they might not actually have proper resources or the 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 materials or 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 ability to create or rebuild the infrastructure. And so instead of putting in the work, the high evolutionary just abuses the the people he's made. That's a great point. And you know, and, you know if you think about it, we really haven't seen very much at all of the upper class bestials lifestyles. Like we've seen where the hunter lives and we've seen like the actual like high evolutionary or Knights of Wondergore like like facilities. But yeah. like when have we ever gone to just like a random what's supposedly a regular run of the mill like living above like up high above bestials house? Like we what haven't. are they like? Like they might not actually be as good as we think that they are because their infrastructure fucking sucks. Well, either that or the only sort of like hints we've ever gotten, which are the facilities that the high evolutionary runs, and I guess the luxury box, like the loge from earlier, mm-hmm. both of those have included some sort of societally deemed lesser bestial um, involved. So the hmm. facility in Atlantic City was entirely run by bestials who were being uh, kidnapped and forced into labor, mm-hmm. and in the loge, there's nothing that really labels the 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 I guess deer bestial that was working in there as like lesser necessarily, hmm. but um, she never says anything. She's very clearly just present to like serve Lord Tiger's needs, which could be fine because he's an important person. You would have people working there, but I think you could imagine a world where. There might be nice places. There might be luxurious places. There might be uh, this actual upper town or uptown um, that is nice but is sort of reliant on taking advantage of a combination of humans and bestials to keep it running. I mean, Vulture's best friend's mom was a servant to mm. to bestials. Yeah. So it's not it's not impossible to sort of fill in the blanks with unfortunately just like like forced labor. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Huh. Yikes. Yeah, god, what a what a messed up world they live in. Yep. Yep, yep. Oh, man. At least they're I, I appreciate how explicit they are about how awful this all is, though. The, uh, way more explicit than I ever would have expected. Me too. I'm I'm frequently surprised. Mhm. <laughs> This late in the game. <laughs> this really, 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 really is a bleak episode in particular, too. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, amazing friends. 
We'd just like to take a minute to thank our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, and Joe. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30 where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks. So Spider-Man is able to meet up with Bromley in this area where the scum suckers are uh, because Lady Vermin apparently needs to make herself more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, see, he, she just wants to fuck. That's all it is. She's giving him she's giving him 15 minutes to make herself yeah. more comfortable. She's only doing that because she wants to fuck him. I don't disagree with that. There, I There's a list of tasks she's completing before they fuck, and that is fair. um yeah so that is a thing so spider-man meets back up with bromley they spot durwood he's torturing the fish bestials he's one of the two people that's making them suck scum and bromley calls out to him yeah it's a pretty clear sign right off the bat of what's gonna happen shortly (laughs) yeah it's definitely definitely a signal (laughs) to the overall vibe of durwood um but initially the two run up to each other and they hug it's broken pretty quickly, though, because Derwood says he was expecting Bromley, which takes Bromley by surprise because Bromley thought he was, like, infiltrating the castle. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the case because Derwood reveals that he also made a deal with the High Evolutionary, but he did it for a promotion. So it's it's there are layers. Uh, Bromley made a deal with High Evolutionary to get Spider-Man, and Derwood made a deal with the High Evolutionary to get Bromley to get Spider-Man to the castle. It's oh. all a lot. Yeah, that seems like a little, huh? Like what? What was the process there for High Evolutionary making that plan? Well, <laughs> my my question is what what is what is the benefit to including Durwood in the plan at all? Because yeah. if they they don't need Durwood's permission to get the ring, they can just take it from him. They don't really need Durwood at all. Yeah, because Durwood doesn't keep up any sort of illusion that this is like a grand familial reunion. Like the moment they reunite, Derwood is like, ha ha ha, I played oh, you. You know what would have been just an e- super easy fix for this? If Bromley shows up and instead of Derwood being in on a plan, Derwood's just like, oh shit, Bromley, you're a human revolutionary and you're with Spider-Man. I could just turn you in and get a promotion. And then that's yeah. how Bromley's like brokenhearted. Like, oh, you don't actually care. Like then they don't have to worry about this weird, un- unnecessarily oh, yeah. complicated plan. And still have the exact same motivation. Yeah, I like that, actually. Yeah, because then everything up to this point needs no tweaking whatsoever. Yeah, 
Like, that's super simple, and he still comes out looking like a complete, like, piece of shit. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I mean, well, he is a piece of shit no matter what, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just be a, it'd be a tighter told story of a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and it would have taken the exact same amount of time for him to come to that conclusion. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because <laughs> um, he clearly doesn't care about his brother at all either way no, anyway. Not even a little bit. Which, yeah, is very, um, is pretty, pretty, pretty horrible. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Especially because it was, I mean, like, it's such a motivate. I mean, this is what makes it devastating, but it's such a motivating factor for Bromley. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really the only thing that we've ever known about him is that mm-hmm. he likes explosives and something bad happened to his family and that has deeply affected him. So we yeah. know that, like, the family thing has been, like, a major pain point for him. So God, this would fuck him up so much. Yeah. It doesn't fuck him up enough, to be quite honest. <laughs> it doesn't. It really doesn't. I mean, I, I appreciate sort of the lesson of the episode at the end of it. I wish they actually yeah. wish they'd hammered it a little harder. But, but yeah. But, yeah, you're right. It's uh, – that's uh, – that's like that's a you go into like a catatonic state for a couple of days type of type of situation. Yeah, Spider-Man should have had to drag him out of that building. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, especially given what happens in this whole like what 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 proceeds after this too. It's uh oh God. this whole sequence is wild. So Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should say too Durwood's body type, cool, dig it, like it. Face, kind of grotesque. Like, they make him look bad. <laughs> they they, they make sure that the bad brother is as traditionally ugly as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just thought I'd point that out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so the high evolutionary arrives to the purification plant in person. This is the thing that I think when we're referring to that this feels like it does make sense to be towards the end of the season. Yes. Because this is a big this ends up actually being a pretty, pretty big reveal that seems like it's gonna have implications for however the season's gonna wrap up. Like it's ramping up towards yes. that. Because this is a good like line in where I feel like most of the things that happened before this could have happened earlier and sometimes feel like they might have been intended for earlier but everything after this feels very much like this is episode 10 out of 13 (laughs) yes so the high evolutionary is there in person this is the first time that he and spider-man are like face to face Uh uh-huh and that's a big deal obviously so he reveals that spider-man and bromley were able to infiltrate the castle because he expected them and permitted it so that explains why they were able to get there in a laundry truck or whatever i guess yeah (laughs) he attacks spider-man this is the other big reveal that he has like telekinetic powers essentially and like really intense telekinetic powers. It's like a big pulse of like green light that he can just project with his mind. And like Spider-Man even refers to it that he's just like being clobbered with like a million fists or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very intense telekinetic power. And I think that he implies that he wasn't, this isn't like an inherent power to him. He says that he's like improved himself or evolved himself or whatever. Yeah. He also has like this interesting reverb to his voice at all times too. Like, it's very, it's kind of subtle, but, like, they're clearly trying to add something to him that makes him sound extra otherworldly. Yeah. I, I believe that that what we're being shown is that he has experimented on himself or, or he's improved himself based on the experiments he's done or it's just been, like, a part of what he's doing. He's not just trying to create, like, a super race of bestials. He's, like, mm-hmm. he's making himself a god. Yeah. Um, and I love that idea. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do think this is kind of shoots down our, our theory that he's sort of an unreliable narrator from the from the yeah. second episode because this is pretty much exactly all. He is creating yeah. 
just doing bestial experiments and he is actually legit pretty powerful so i think that and the and the details in this episode that pretty much confirm his initial timeline like it it yeah i i think those two things combined make me no longer hopeful that he's an unreliable narrator he's very he's very obviously and clearly not an oz figure yeah like he is as powerful it seems as he claims to be and as other people claim that he is so that's kind of out the window as well Mm -hmm. um i want to know theoretically (laughs) what animal did he get his telekinetic pulse from Because I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of animal, even on our own planet, that's able to, like, I don't know, emit some sort of, like, uh, I guess, electromagnetic pulse from their bodies. Oh, huh. Interesting. I just want to know what it is, you know? (laughs) And then the other thing is, that spiky outfit that he wears, is that part of him? Right. I don't know because it, it sort of reminds me of like, um, what is it called? Like a carapace from, from like an insect or something, mm. you know, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or not an insect, like a, like a, like a crab or something like that. Yeah. Like I don't know crustacean. what it's called, but that's exactly what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Yeah. It would feel like it's definitely organic. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really, I mean, I, it's probably just like a cool design thing. <laughs> it, just, yeah. it just looks like armor, but it, but it is interesting. Cause yeah, cause there's, there's still so many questions about him. It's like, it would have been cool for our unreliable narrator thing to go through, but I do think that they presented him as a much more formidable big bad than I was expecting them to. Oh, yep. Now that we've encountered him face to face, and he's a lot yeah. more intimidating than I expected him to be, too. Yeah, same. Big same. One interesting detail is that he he mentions to Spider-Man that he's tired of Spider-Man interfering with his plans, and the, the plans that he mentions specifically are Spider-Man fucking up his power plant and ruining his attempts to control the symbiotes. And I just thought that was interesting. I don't I don't know uh, I do. what was interesting about it, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to include. Yeah, it is. Well, it's cool because this that's another thing that does make this feel like this is coming to the end of the season, not just because it's a continuity reference, but because it's sort of like yeah, all of the all of these episodes that you've watched have mattered. All that's why we're making yeah. these references. I do this does make me have another question of if the next episode is supposed to air first because Mm. the only interaction that Spidey has really had with the symbiotes was in the pilot when he was just fighting them off and then in the following episode with with Goblin where evil nests where they were working on an agenda separate from the high evolutionary and if the following episode is the symbiotes like doing stuff under the high evolutionary and Spider-Man thwarts it then that would be another point in that episode being before this right. one. So right, we'll because the things that he's done to the symbiote aren't specifically related to... They aren't things that the High Evolutionary would consider Spider-Man fucking up for the High Evolutionary. If yeah. anything, the High Evolutionary would be kind of happy that Spider-Man foiled the symbiote's plans to undermine the High Evolutionary. Yeah. So... Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. All right. Now I'm I'm so eager to watch the next episode. Now. I am too. Watch it be like so standalone that we're never gonna have any idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows? It's, it's it's hard to say with the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Spidey clashes with the High Evolutionary, and Bromley clashes with Durwood. After a few more telekinetic pulses, the High Evolutionary summons some sort of technology from his lab. It basically looks like four sciencey techie pillar things like as if four claws kind of just came up from the ground or whatever and those four pillars 
uh, surround Spider-Man and they blast him with a ray that begins to transform him into a grotesque spider bestial. I wouldn't describe it as grotesque. I think he's a pretty what? cool. I think he's a pretty cool looking spider bestial. It's cool, but it's horrifying. <laughs> I mean, it, it, horrifying in, the, in in like the body horror sense. But yeah, he's not grotesque like like some of the rejects were meant to be or something. Okay, he's not that's like deformed. Fair. He's actually a pretty even. He's quite symmetrical. Symmetrical looking spider. <laughs> spider creature it's basically like they're a man spider i guess but like yeah a, a, an even like kind of cooler like less grotesque version of like the night like the typical 90s show spy- man spider honestly yeah yeah he's, like he's yeah. not hairy and he doesn't have like the long head he actually has like just an insect head and he only yeah. has like the two big buggy eyes yeah not even it, like a spider head <laughs> yeah it's almost more like like a mantis head a little bit sort of yeah i wouldn't it, i wouldn't even go that far but yeah it's just sort of like a two-eyed like bug head thing yeah yeah i think he looks Where cool he should, i think he should have stayed like <laughs> i don't know because as far as we know High evolutionary creates bestials out of other animals and or, you know, recycling other bestials. Well, with one exception, John Jameson. Oh, duh. So this is the same technology he used on John Jameson. Okay. So there is some subset of experimentation where they're trying to turn humans into bestials. And I guess it seems to not be working out very well because they're not doing it very often. Well, and we still we still don't have any reason for why they would do that in the first place. Remember mm-hmm. that was like perplexing to us. Like, yeah. why would you turn humans into bestials? Mm-hmm. But whatever, the technology exists. <laughs> and why he's doing it to Spider-Man now? Because if bestials are supposed to be like sort of this elevated race, then like, why would you want to give humans the privilege of being a bestial? Especially, well, you know, I don't, I don't really get it. That's I, that's been a confused point throughout the whole series. I would argue. Because they have not fully established what makes bestials better and why they're better or, like, what the social structure is. Because one thing that we've talked about a number of times is the – and this is – I guess this is hard because it's not really – in universe but it's it affects the universe Mm -hmm. this is more of a a creator's problem Mm -hmm. um but we've we've noted multiple times that the the bestials that are considered bad bestials or villainous or criminal bestials are often more beast-like they're more representative of the animals that they are inspired by Mm -hmm. which makes them less like humans which are the the species that are being eradicated from the earth and the good or uh, casual living bestials are the ones that are more like humans. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't make sense for it would make more sense for the ones that are more like humans to be less desired. But I don't really we it's never really addressed. Like none of those things that you and I have speculated about as far as the like I guess the the most real life thing it could be compared to is like I don't know. I I just can't think of another example. So. Uh, it's not going to be perfect, but like the like colorism within a particular race oh, of like yeah. humans, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's the only sort of like analogy I can think of. It's not perfect, and it's not really appropriate. Um, but just to get the idea across, like that sort of um, like within a collect, like within a population that you might initially from the outside consider 
all accepting of each other, not being accepting of each other based on a societal structure. Yeah. Right? Or drawing from our experience as like queer people. There's a lot of that within the queer community of yes. like different subsets yes. or labels of queer people. Like, you know, like, oh, should ace people be – are you really queer? Like, oh, right. do bi people even exist? Like that kind of shit. Like that yes. goes on a lot in the queer community. So it's – yeah. Even though, you know, at the outset, like, oh, you're all – the LGBTQ community, like, there's actually not a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bullshit yeah. within it. So right, yeah, no, that's that's yeah, exactly. Yes, that is that is very true, and I, I can I can actually speak from that experience. So yes, yeah, <laughs> I feel, yeah, I feel much more comfortable with that. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But it's it's sort of that idea. But what we haven't gotten is clarification on that. So it's it's not. I don't think it's unusual in the universe that doesn't explain that for him to turn. Spider-Man into a bestial, but it definitely doesn't make sense. Like it yeah. doesn't make sense watching it because we haven't gotten right. any of those answers. So it makes as little sense as anything else that they haven't explained. And the re and, and, and the high evolutionary pulling that out right now is sort of like another weapon against him also is, is bizarre. Cause it's sort of like, what were you expecting to come out of it? Spider-Man turns into a spider bestial. And then what is he like your slave now? Like, does he lose his like mind completely or something yeah. or what? Like what, what was supposed to happen when, when you did that? Right. And we get no answers about it, which, you know, would be fine if that was just supposed to be another mystery. But I don't think that that was the case. I think that was just like another thing that they were throwing in. Yeah. Because it is a cool sequence. Like, it's cool to see his bestial spider design. And I would have not have been mad to get a whole episode of that if he was like stuck in that body or something. Uh, yeah. I'm really disappointed. Really, really disappointed that it, it, it resolves immediately. Yeah. Because they just kind of waste it. Because he literally just uses his sonics to break the machines and then he walks away and then immediately transforms back into himself. And it's like, that was weird anyway. And then it's never commented on ever again. Yeah. That's fucking trauma. <laughs> that's something the nineties yeah. show did well. Like they allowed man spider to be Peter Parker's trauma. Yeah. This yeah. show seemingly is just going to let that shit go. <laughs> right. Right. Like if you didn't, if you weren't going to deal with that, don't put don't it in the episode it. that you can devote an entire episode to that. And it would have been interesting. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, honestly think about like Spider-Man in a bestial body, but like still retaining his mind and stuff. Like it wouldn't be a man wolf situation. Like, right. and then navigating the world as a bestial, like that would be so interesting. That would be an easy uh -huh. way to explore all of the different systems and stuff and, and what's going on yeah, in, in counter earth, New York. So what the hell were you thinking? That's so, I I'm know. so baffled. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it, I, I, and I can't really come up with any, any rationalizations. Yeah, I'm not really I sure. Really don't get it unless something was cut out of this episode. I don't know, um, but Maybe? even if it was, it wouldn't have been enough time to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know because this. I mean, we're rapidly approaching the end of this episode because yeah. what I mean, you mentioned it already. He basically figures out or or hypothesizes, I should say, because he doesn't really know. That the whatever's turning him into a, a insect bestial is using some sort of sonic technology. So he tosses a hail mary, turns on his own sonics, and hopes that it will disrupt the process, and it does. So it manages to destroy the the equipment, but it also explodes. So that equipment is destroyed, I guess, <laughs> which is fine. Um, and Spider Man walks away, fully transformed, but immediately transforms back, unharmed, untraumatized. And the saga of that man spider mantis thing is over already. Yeah, my question. Okay, so if it's a regular human that didn't have like spider DNA like implanted in him was with that machine, like if Bromley was there, 
would he just mutate into like whatever his like favorite animal was or something or what? Or did that machine have like animal DNA implanted into it or what? So I actually <laughs> think that's a that's a phenomenal question that I think could have been the key to the questions that we're asking mm-hmm. because if it, it's I think it's one of two things, right? Either the high evolutionary turns Spider-Man into this creature because Spider-Man already embraces spiders as his emblem mm-hmm. um, and so it's some sort of like i guess weird irony like a, yeah or something that the high evolutionary thinks is like clever or it's exactly as you described it he already has animal dna in him and so that's what he turns into i don't know why that equipment would then exist because so spider-man is unique and we don't know what the high evolutionary knows but we kind of to this point can only assume that he doesn't know much of anything Yep. About Spider-Man, at least. he's He he wanted to capture Spider-Man to continue experiments. I don't think that that was the experiment. It doesn't resemble what he was doing in the first two episodes. Nope. It doesn't make sense. So, I don't know. But I do think that's a good question, and I think that that's the type of thing that, that could be explored to answer it. I just, it's, normally we have a path that we didn't get to the end to, but we're allowed to walk down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't even let us step foot on that path. So yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> could have could cut that entire sequence out yeah. and like give more time to, you know, where the act ends <laughs> and yeah. actually let their piece away for this, uh, for, to go to commercial break without cutting off midline again. Well, right, because, well, yes, they cut off in the middle of a line, which is so annoying, and I can't believe they did it again, although I shouldn't be surprised. A dramatic, another super dramatic moment. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, so what happens? So what happens is that Bromley and Durwood are still clashing, and then this really, like, fucked up traumatic event happens where Durwood, like, falls into one of the water purification tanks, and... Bromley pushes him into it. Oh, he does. Like it's 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 they're 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 wrestling over the like electric staff or whatever on oh, the thing. Right, right, and right. I don't I don't know that Bromley means to do it, but he pushes him, and the I think the rail breaks or something like that. Okay, no, that makes sense. So, so it's, like it's, Bromley it's, is to a degree responsible for what happens. It's an accidental murder because what happens is that Durwood falls into the tank full of those fish bestials that he was torturing, and uh-huh. then they overtake him, implying that they maul him, maybe even eat him. <laughs> and, All they're allowed to eat is scum, so I wouldn't right, be surprised. <laughs> right, so they're probably eating him. Durwood, and the way that, so, or not Durwood, Bromley, the way that this this act ends and it goes to commercial break is this horrific event happening, Bromley and Bromley yelling, Durwood! And then it fades <laughs> out. That was that was a beautiful impression <laughs> of the horrible commercial break. I'm I was so... So infuriated by that. More infuriated when it comes back from commercial break and we don't aren't even picking up from the scene. We're picking up like later after they've escaped from this facility. So like I wonder, was this like a sensor cut or something? Like did did they show hmm. a little bit more of the events of this horrific thing happening and like sensors made them cut it? It's still an awkward ass cut, but like Huh. It's just the way that it fades out while he's in the middle of yelling Durwood's name, like he doesn't even finish yelling his name and they fade out on it. It's just strange. The only, like, the only 
counterpoint to this just being a bad cut is that we have seen a bad cut like this before, as we were referring to back in, oh, what was it? The X-51 episode, Steel Cold Heart, right? When Spider-Man discovers his his rocket ship and it cuts to a commercial like kind of midline there. Yeah. Which is another like really big moment that's undercut by an awkward commercial break. This is worse, I think. I think it's far worse. Yeah. Because we don't even get to finish the scene. Especially, yeah, we don't get to finish the scene and what Bromley is shouting when he's cut off is simply his brother's name in a way that would make you believe that even though Durwood betrayed him, Bromley wasn't, wasn't giving up on Durwood. Right. Right. Like it's not like he intentionally threw him into a, a, a a pool of, of carnivorous fish. Like he didn't do that on purpose. Right. So it's like, implied that it's a tragedy for him and a trauma and then like you said when we return it's just not addressed at all right it's a real bummer (laughs) let these characters have trauma (laughs) yeah i mean it's just another subject of these episodes sort of like racing to the end and 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 just like having to end wrap up their stuff very quickly because after the commercial break we pick up spider-man and bromley are already like have left the building somehow they've escaped unscathed and are swinging in the city (laughs) Like, yeah. like, yep. what? What happened? We missed something big. Yeah, how'd they get out? What happened? Yeah. What's, what's Lady Vermin doing? Just like, like k- killing your brother wasn't mm-hmm. the the solution to like to getting out of there. Like, there was a lot more happening. Right? Could they have uh, at least talked before they went separate ways? Could we see that? It's so. It's so. Like it's so anything? bizarre. <laughs> it's so baffling. Yeah. It is so baffling. I don't understand. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. So yeah, Bromley, I mean, he, he, we see him on a rooftop and he tosses Durwood's ring just like off the rooftop and then presumably just goes back to the revolutionaries, like no big deal, I guess. Um, And then Peter goes back to the clinic. And this is where we get like, I guess the closed loop uh, that I actually already forgot about. (laughs) I forgot that this was even a thing that happened in the episode. Sure. Because so much wild shit happened in between. But anyway, Peter walks into the kitchen of the Naoko Jones household, or not Naoko Jones, the Yamada Jones household. (laughs) And Shane is trying to show Naoko a newspaper that has Peter's photos on it. But when Peter walks in, Naoko's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I thought that you had run away or something. And Shane's like, no, I've been trying to tell you. And then he shows off Peter's pictures. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it didn't, it really didn't serve anything. <laughs> it doesn't, but I guess the, so the theme, cause, cause there is a line that Bromley has when he's, when he's going separate ways with Spider-Man that he's sort of like, I need to, I, Durwood was my family. I lost him. I don't know what he says, but he's sort of like, I need to go yeah. back to the family that like I have now, which is the revolutionaries. And Spider-Man also goes back to the family that he's sort of adopted now that he was referring to, that he's, he's, that he was referring to like at the carnival is sort of like, they're becoming more of his family. So, and yeah. even in the last episode, he makes that reference where he sort of like wants to take care of the family more than he already has, right? You know um, what would have been great if this episode referenced the events of last episode, yeah, in such a way that he like disbelieves that he almost left. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. more directly. Like he starts the episode off by appreciating them, and so you can kind of draw that line between the two events. But I wish it had been a little bit more direct. Of like, I can't believe I almost left them. Like, what would I have? Like, not what would I have done, but something to that effect. Or at least left them without saying goodbye or something like that. Right, right. Something like that. I still don't – I mean, the detail about the the pictures and him being a coward and all that is still a little – It is. um, 
lacking in serving anything. But the fact that he does come home to the family, I think, is good. They could have probably tweaked it in such a way that if she believed he had left, it, she was more upset about it. Yeah. And when he returns, he he. I guess this would be a little weird because we've been so critical about the relationship that Peter has to her specifically in that one direction. But if he could see that she had been nervous or upset and then comforted her instead of making a dumb joke, mm-hmm. then it's sort of like, okay, now that's co- that's sort of come full circle from the last episode where he almost abandoned them. And then he sees that they would have been torn up without him. And then he comforts them and basically creates like a weird situation for himself where he maybe legitimately says like, I won't leave you or I'm, I'm here or whatever. Yeah. Knowing ultimately that he still is going to leave at some point. Right. Cause I do like the ultimate, the ultimate end point this episode reaches is that like, is, is a very classic and kind of a very queer like idea. Um, mm-hmm. and theme is that like, it's not your blood family that matters. It's your found family. And right. you know, for Bromley, his brother sucks, but he has his revolutionary family. Um, and for Peter, like he has people back home that he loves, but he also has people here that like, he's been, he's been trying to like stay distant from because he right. knows that he doesn't really belong here, but he can't, but, but like he has to accept that like he does love them and he they are there he there are people that he cares about that that is sort of his family that's become his family here even if they're only a temporary family and he has to be uh. able to accept that and i really like that but i do wish that they'd hammered it in a little more clearly yeah oh man that's oh that's so rough i don't know what payoff we get if any because i don't i i genuinely i don't know you might remember this because i i don't know how I don't know. The finale might have had an impact in a way that other episodes no. didn't. But nope, I don't remember um, anything about the finale. Okay. <laughs> I might not have actually seen it. I don't know. I, just, I remember nothing. I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, man, the the dynamic that is set up with him sort of like accepting his found family, but also knowing that he has to leave at some point. Mm-hmm. Like that's such a good good conflict like yeah. i i like it it's not it's not groundbreaking but it's good i like but I, it yeah because i i really i think it would be so satisfying that makes it even more satisfying what like if he ends up ultimately like unmasking to them to explain the situation and to like gain the acceptance of him like leaving you know so yeah. it's sort of like, it's so tragic but like they get to actually like there's just like this really like important bond that they have you know so like he sort of leaves having having like kind of gained something from, from, from being with them, you know, that could be where he actually talks about Mary Jane. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've, I, you know, we've, he hasn't mentioned her for, for good reason. I, I realized in the moment I brought it up in that episode. Yeah. Um, but as far as like explaining what's at stake and why he has to leave and, and, and all that, like that, it, it, it could be part of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of the dynamics are interesting, you know, when they don't as long as they focus on the right angle and not the forbidden fruit angle and actually focus right. on like this adopting a family that you can't that can't be permanent. Right. Um, that is such an interesting complicated conflict that could have so much emotional payoff and emotional conflict. And I really like that stuff a lot. So I'm glad that they are in that direction, and that's sort of where the episode ends. I just wish they would hammer that in more and stay away from the creepy flirting and forbidden fruit stuff. <laughs> Retweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's cool. it. I mean, that's all that happens in that one. All we've got left is some faces. Yeah, yeah. Face of the episode. So I mentioned that the animation or, or art design, whatever you would call it, uh, or character design, character models are a little, are a little, are a little whack in this episode. Unstable. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're unstable. It's not, it's not a huge deal, really. But, but there is like a scene with the cops 
that are inciting a riot. Ooh, that sounds weird. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Relevant. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, the cops are inciting a riot. The 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 bull slash like ox guy. Depending on what shot that you're looking at, his face looks completely different. His eyes are colored oh, yeah. different. His face is like more or less detailed or a different shape or whatever. Um, but the one that I picked out is a super incredibly detailed face that he has. It's oh, yeah. um, super, super, super detailed. Um, it's a good drawing. It's just oh, like yeah. someone spent a lot of time on that drawing that exists for like a half a second. <laughs> a lot of time. I also forgot to mention I at the top of the episode, I was like, oh, I'm going to point out a time when a character model changes and then didn't. Oh, yeah. What were you referring to? In this same scene, Peter, Naoko and Shane are like getting ice cream. Mm-hmm. I noticed this at first because the guy who's serving them ice cream is a babe. Uh, super hot <laughs> but they cut away from him and then cut back to him and he's still attractive but he's like it's like a different like he looks different enough that you're like is that your brother <laughs> That's funny. and he's like less hunky <laughs> it's, it's just so funny because um, they 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 cut away and he just looks totally different uh, <laughs> except like still has a beard and it's the same color that's pretty much it <laughs> <laughs> The other one I referenced before, it's just Spidey's undercover outfit. It's just hilarious and cute and funny. Yeah, I'm into it. It's fun. Yep, yep, yep. Well, if you want more cute and fun stuff, you can find all of our cute and fun stuff on Patreon at patreon.com slash snappers. That is where we have all of our exclusive patron content, Um, all the stuff that we make to say thanks for folks who are supporting us um, at whatever level. There's different stuff for for different folks so that's that's pretty cool and also like we said at the top of the episode if you're just looking generally for everything walloping web snappers has to offer find us at wallopingwebsnappers.com if you're looking for us individually and the stuff that we are doing on our own derek where can people find you and the stuff you are making sure you can find me on twitter at derek b gale you can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at what is perceived as bad or divisive media, but I look at it from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y, talking about whatever. And if you like Pokemon stuff, you can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast, where my co-host Kyle and I talk about whatever we feel like, whenever we feel like. And our recent coverage should be all about the Sword and Shield expansion DLC. So if you were playing that or if you're curious to see if you should, check that out over at Victory Road. In the meantime, if you would like to find Walloping Web Snappers on social media, we're all over the place at Walloping Web Pod. You can also email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com for suggestions or feedback or fan art or whatever you'd like. Uh, we would love some emails. We'd also love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever, but especially on Apple Podcasts, because that helps people find what we're doing. We are very likely the only podcast in the universe that is covering Spider-Man Unlimited in so much detail. So check us out there next time. We get a Venom-focused episode, hey, called One is the Loneliest Number. Aw, yeah. Time for lots of butts. Butts, butts, butts. Bye.
Like he doesn't even finish yelling his name and they fade out on it. It's just strange. I I am in the event we ever interview someone. <laughs> this must be asked. <laughs> yeah. Was this a censor cut? <laughs> <laughs>